good morning everyone. Not sure if I want to... No. I was going to write them on the board. Um, I'd like for you all to share some uh, names or descriptors of Jesus this morning. So we read in the youth and adult Sunday school classes there in Isaiah, the um, fairly, uh, don't know what word I want, um, well-known, there we go, um, verse in Isaiah 9 of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Um, there are a lot of names and a lot of descriptors used for Jesus, so let's let's hear some of those that come to your mind this morning. Son of David. Son of David. The Son of God. The Son of God. And the man. Son of man. The Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. The Word. The Word. The Great I Am. The great I am. The light. The light. King of kings. <coughs> King of kings. Bread of life. Bread of life. Good shepherd, chief shepherd. Good shepherd, chief shepherd. The alpha and the omega. The alpha and the omega. probably um, barely unpacking just a few of them um, it's um, it can be a good worshipful uh, homework assignment for you maybe sit down sometime spend set a timer, five, ten minutes, and write down as many as you can think of, and then just try to think about what they mean. I think most of you all probably had some idea in your head of uh, what the one that you shared just now means. What does it mean that he is the Lion of Judah? What does it mean that he is the way, that he is the vine? Um, but I don't think we dig into that as much as we could. Of all of the designations used for Jesus Christ, um, the first one I want to dig into for a while this morning is Son of Man. The title I have at the top of my notes is Jesus, Son of Man, Christ the Lord. Um, Son of Man shows up 
seemingly everywhere in the Gospels. Um, looks like it's over 80 times across the four Gospels. The Son of Man is used as a distinct way Jesus refers to himself in the third person. Jesus is not shy, in other words, of about uh, calling himself Son of Man. But what does it actually mean? Um, it's pretty rare elsewhere in the New Testament. Um, and unlike Son of David or some other designations, it's not common in the Old Testament either, uh, or in Jewish tradition for that matter. And so as we're here in this Christmas or Advent season, um, I think it's good for us to ask the same question Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16:13, when he says, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Uh, that's, that's driving my thoughts quite a lot this morning. Who do I say that Jesus, the Son of Man, is? What does the Bible have to say about who the Son of Man is? Son of Man may sound simple on the surface, but digging into this phrase will give us some, some insight into the uh, deeper, the depths of, of both the person and the work of Jesus. First, Son of Man is, is revealing of man among us. Um, so starting with what seems to be the fairly obvious thing about the phrase, uh, Son of Man reveals that someone is truly human. God made flesh. He was not just some um, apparition or projection. He became man, lived as a man. Um, and you see a lot of early church writers um, kind of grabbing a hold of that uh, Son of Man in, in that way, along those lines. Um, they kind of point to it as a, a tidy or compact reminder for us that Jesus is fully human. Um, they, they kind of set it up as the, the counter to um, Son of God or the complement to. Um, I, don't, I won't read uh, most of these. It was just interesting to look through some of the early church writers in the first few hundred years um, uh, Ignatius talking about Jesus Christ who according to the flesh is of the lineage of David, the son of man um, Justin Martyr spoke of it Tertullian um, Origen said the son of God is said to have died namely with regard to that nature that was able to accept death and he is designated son of man the, you, you just see it a lot in, in the early um, Christian writings the, the son of man just really emphasizing the humanity that God became flesh. He became man. Um, they, they use it maybe as a, a three-word way of just capturing the essence of, well, the nativity, what Christmas is. Jesus coming in the flesh. He took on flesh. He was born of a virgin. There's a little bit of a problem, though. Jesus, uh, well, maybe not a problem. Uh, we just... We need to dig further. Jesus uses Son of Man in ways that stretch beyond just I am here in the flesh. He, he uses it in ways that dig deeper than just um, that he became man. So looking at, um, 
at, at how Jesus used it. Several times he states that the son of, as son of man, he will sit on a heavenly throne. He will come with the clouds. He will receive glory and power. He will be surrounded by angels. Uh, jumping through a number of verses here in uh, the Gospels, starting in Matthew 24. This is Jesus speaking using this title, this description. Matthew 24, verse 30, Jesus says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jumping over into the next chapter, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. The next chapter, Matthew 26, verse 64. Jesus said to him, It is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Over in the book of Mark, chapter 13, Mark 13, verse 26. Mark 13:26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. This is Jesus speaking of himself. Uh, Mark 14, verse 62. Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then in Luke, looking at two verses here, Luke 21, verse 27. Luke chapter 21, verse 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And then in chapter 22, Luke 22, verse 69, Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. This is not normal for a man. This goes much beyond the humanity that we see in the title and that we and the early church leaders often referred to. Um, go to Daniel 7. Turn your Bibles to Daniel 7. Son of Man is not a common Old Testament uh, title or term, but we find it here in Daniel 7. And we find then a key for how Son of Man, while it reveals Jesus' humanity, it also kind of holds in it um, Jesus' heavenly status. In Daniel chapter 7, um, hard to know what verses to read and not read. We'll go ahead and read verses uh, Daniel 7, verses 13 through 18 to start. This is Daniel's uh, writing here. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. Sound a lot like what Jesus talked about. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this, and he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. In Daniel's vision of heaven, 
the Ancient of Days takes his throne of judgment, and uh, there we have, with the clouds of heaven, uh, there came one like the Son of Man, and to him was given that dominion and glory and a kingdom. This this is just a, a staggering. This is a staggering glimpse into. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, it reminds me of. Um, Revelation 5, when we get that glimpse into heaven and, and they're searching throughout all of all of time and eternity to find the one worthy to open the seals. And, and we just get this, this glimpse into, again, I don't know what, what word to use, but uh, realms that, that, we, that are so high above us. And, and we get that here where, where Daniel, through Daniel's vision, we're able, we're able to see this, um, this just staggering um, opening of, of reality, the truest reality. Um, someone is enthroned with God in heaven to rule forever, and he appears as a son of man because he is better than the beastly kings of earth there in uh, verse 17. So Jesus applies phrases directly from Daniel 7 to himself, and, and in that we, we have him revealing that that he is that son of man. And Daniel's vision is not about simple flesh and blood. And I want to dig then into to some of the truths of Jesus' divine nature from, from here in Daniel as we look at this and, and as Jesus um, spoke and witnessed of himself. Um, thinking about Jesus' divine nature we have we have the idea of of pre-existence here in in this passage in this vision um, Daniel glimpses the pre-incarnate son I guess you could say in the throne room um, this is before Jesus came as a man came as a baby grew to be a man um, and yet Daniel was given that glimpse of of the Son of God in the form of a man there in, in the, the throne room, for lack of a better term. Um, Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. We read that in John 12 and Isaiah 6. Um, Ezekiel saw a man enthroned in the highest heaven. Um, and, and in that, we, we, just, we get a glimpse of, of the pre-existence is the best term I could come up with, of, of Jesus, the God-man in Jesus. Um, Jesus spoke about his his current, his present authority. Multiple times, Jesus invoked his identity of son of man to claim authority on the earth that no mere man could claim. Um, he, uh, he uses that term when he claims the ability uh, for unrestricted forgiveness of sin, Mark 2. Um, that's not a normal man ability. Uh, but he calls himself the Son of Man there, where he where he lays out his ability to re, to forgive sin. Um, also in Mark 2, he he uses it when he refers to um, his lordship over the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus' divine abilities, uh, prerogatives, whatever word you want to use, are rooted in his status as that heavenly Son of Man. Um, he talks about suffering to accomplish redemption. He he uses Son of Man um, 
this is the one I struggled probably the most to, to pull together in any sort of tidy way. If you look at um, the prophecies of Isaiah 52 and 53, for the sake of time, we, we can hardly read them. It's um, 52 verse uh, 13. No. Um, 52, Isaiah 52, yeah, verse 13, and then going through all of chapter 53, um, you have you have the the prophecy of the suffering of, of the Son of Man and, and the suffering servant. Um, and he predicts in Mark 9 that he, as the Son of Man, would suffer and die for sins. He, he, he pulls those two together. Um, man cannot suffer and die for man's sins. Uh, Jesus alone was able to take that. Um, he, he talks about being enthroned in heaven uh, at Upon his ascension, Jesus is enthroned as Son of Man at the right hand of the Father on high. We read that in Acts 7 and in Revelation 1. Um, and uh, having accomplished his work on earth, um, the man, Jesus Christ, now reigns in heaven. And, and we see that picture clearly in, in Acts 7 and, and Revelation 1. And uh, Jesus also uses... It um, when he speaks in Matthew 19, uh, he will return from heaven as the Son of Man, um, divine judge and eternal king. So, on as on closer inspection, Son of Man is just a, as much about Christ's being divine as it is about his humanity. It's 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 both pieces. Um, pieces sounds a little too trite maybe but it's it's uh, it encapsulates that he was a hundred percent God he was a hundred percent man um, and I would I would say it, it equally raises both um, this this title then seems to maybe be the most effective way Jesus he reveals and maybe somewhat conceals who he really is by using son of man in some ways I, I thought about how he uh, he talked about he, he would speak in parables because, well, the people who really want to believe will then find it. Um, and I thought about that. So this this term, son of man, was not common in, in the Jewish culture. Um, in the Old Testament, you basically had Daniel's reference to it, and that was about it. Um, and so um, was, he, was he also using... Um, son of man in, in a way as uh, similar to the way he used the parables to somebody who really didn't care and just heard this flashy new preacher from uh, out of Nazareth uh, he's the son of man he's he's just uh, he's just another human um, but to those who were there and they would dig just the tiniest little bit they began to see the fullness of Christ um, uh, it seems like it probably had that effect on some people if he was going around calling himself the son of man to those who didn't care it probably didn't sink in um, but to those who had any inclination to dig into who this man was they would then see the truth of his divinity along with the truth of his humanity um, the, the one divine man 
living on earth grounded in heaven maybe um, when when Daniel glimpsed this reality in, in Daniel 7 he said um, he was overwhelmed he said uh, this is the end of the account uh, Daniel 7:28. this is the end of the, of the account as for me Daniel my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed but I kept the matter in my heart what is our response when we see with greater clarity than even Daniel we're here in the Christmas season of 2021 um, all of us have a Bible within arm's reach here this morning probably have a handful of them within uh, arm's reach of our desk or our chair at home um, we have we have a clarity that maybe even Daniel um, would be jealous of would have been jealous of What's our response then when we look at the Son of Man, Jesus Christ? Um, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is truly man, born in Bethlehem, placed in that manger, but so much more than just another prophet, another man who came. He came down from heaven as Son of Man among the sons and daughters of Adam. Why did he do that? So that through his... divine authority um, his giving of himself he might make us children of the living God the son of man descended from the heavenly throne room to use the imagery we see there in Daniel 7 um, to win a people for himself Daniel 7 18 but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So, how then would we answer Jesus' question there in Matthew of, who do you say the Son of Man is? He's nothing short of God made flesh. He reigns in heaven, yet he was born of a virgin here on earth. Let's take another little venture of tying Old and New Testament scripture together as we think about Jesus coming to earth. Philippians 2 is a, is a wonderful, majestic uh, passage um, in, in just laying out the, uh, the humility of Christ, Christ laying aside his heavenly... Um, home and and coming here it becomes an almost I don't know shocking is not the right word Um, it's it's amplified if we read it in light of Isaiah 45 so Isaiah 45 actually I'll probably end up reading there before in Philippians in Isaiah 45 we have um We have Prophet Isaiah uh, recording his his revelation concerning uh, Cyrus, king of Persia. And despite being a pagan ruler, Cyrus in Isaiah 45, verse 1, is the Lord's anointed. Now, the interesting thing about that anointed, so um, Christ is Greek for Messiah. Messiah is Hebrew for the anointed Um, Cyrus here is 
described as with a lowercase c if you were to use Greek God's Christ his chosen one and that just that can be a little hard to compute when you look at Cyrus this pagan king being described as God's chosen one and and this this kind of a a title being used for him so even though Cyrus doesn't know God um, Jehovah God if, if uh, so uh, the great I am was mentioned here this morning as, as a title for Jesus uh, you go to Exodus 3:14, and that's where we get Yahweh or Jehovah um, as uh, the personal name of God um, God knows Cyrus, names Cyrus, calls Cyrus, he equips Cyrus to fulfill his purposes uh, by restoring the fortunes of Israel and uh, following their exile in Isaiah 45, uh, verses 4 and 5. And God acts in this way so that all people will know that, well, uh, Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. So God used uh, Cyrus so that people would know about God. And as I read Isaiah 45, the, the uniqueness of God becomes just the dominant theme that comes out over and over. Um, again and again, God asserts his, his uniqueness and his divine um, prerogatives. I, I couldn't come up with a better word than that. Um, he alone is the creator God he forms light and creates darkness in verse 7 he sends showers to the earth and causes the the plants to grow in verse 8 he's the potter who forms the clay he's the father who makes all mankind in verse 9 he is the one the only he is God Um, in verse 18 we I, I feel I feel like we get drawn back to Genesis 1 um Isaiah 45:18 For thus says the Lord who created the heavens who is God who formed the earth and made it who has who has established it who did not create it in vain who formed it to be inhabited I am the Lord and there is no other Not only did he alone create the world he alone governs it from beginning to end um Going up to verses 11 and 12, thus says the Lord the holy one of Israel and his maker ask me of the things of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, you command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hand stretched out to the heavens and all their hosts, I have commanded. God created the world. He governs it from start to finish. And not only is God alone the creator God, he alone is a righteous God and savior in verse 21. God is distinct from all the lowercase g, gods of the nations. Since the pagans, uh, verse 20, um, God very very dismissive there. Um, the pagans are carrying about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a god that can't save. You, you have to pray to the one you're giving a piggyback ride to. Um, yeah, god, God's just very dismissive of the, the pagan gods. He is the true God. Yet even... The nations will one day recognize the futility of their idols. We see in verse 14, they'll acknowledge 
the God of Israel. There is no other. So again and again in this chapter, the Lord, through his prophet, he declares that he alone is God. Um, we, we just God's absolute uniqueness rings out. Uh, verse 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Uh, verse 6, there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. Verse 14, they will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. Verse 18, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Verse 21, uh, was it not I, the Lord, and there is no God besides me, a righteous God and Savior, and none is beside me? Verse 22, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. And verse 24, only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. So it's no surprise then in this passage when God declares in verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow every tongue shall take an oath as the only supreme God as the true God there is no one greater by whom he can swear so that's how swearing worked through um, all those years um, you swore by something greater than you because if you were lying, then that thing greater than you could strike you down. That's that's how you made sure everybody knew that you were serious about this. Well, God has no one greater than him to swear by. Uh, Hebrews 6:13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. His sure, his certain word establishes that all shall bow to him and to him alone there in verse 23 of Isaiah 45. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. None of that is really surprising to us. We understand that God is the only one, that he is alone. He is He is in a, uh, a class of one, a group of one. There is none like him. But then that's where, that's where Philippians 2, after I read um, Isaiah 45, Philippians 2 became a little more profound maybe um, like Isaiah Paul is celebrating the anointed of the Lord Christ Jesus whereas Cyrus didn't know the Lord Jesus doesn't have that problem and and the humility and obedience of Jesus is the model for our very own um, uh, humility and obedience here in, in chapter 2 Jesus humbled himself, and his obedience extended all the way to death, even the death on a cross. Uh, let's go ahead and read uh, Philippians 2, starting at verse 6, going through verse 9. Speaking of Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of, a, of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name, given him the name which is above every name. So here we have um, Jesus in his humility and his obedience. God has highly exalted him. And what does this exaltation, um, this uh, name giving mean? Well, uh, verse 10 and 11 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Paul knows what he's doing. He knows that this this fundamental Christian um, confession, Jesus Christ is Lord, that's fundamental to who you are as a Christian. That is at the core of of your confession and and witness in Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't merely describe or declare Jesus as as a human ruler like Herod or Caesar in those days. He knows, Paul knows, that he's echoing the words of Isaiah in in that that chapter there of, of declaring the one true God. Paul is reiterating that here about Jesus. The chapter that rang out with there is no other God is being redeployed here to declare that Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the son of man is not just a great prophet. He's not just anointed king to take over David's throne, earthly throne. He is Lord, the Lord. He is God himself. He's come in the flesh to rescue and redeem, to suffer and to save. And Paul knows what he's doing. This is the inspired word of God. Um, I Reading... Reading Philippians 2 after reading Isaiah 45 just made a profound impact on me. Over and over, God declaring, I am the one. There is none like me. If there is any doubt in your mind that Jesus was just a good man or just another teacher or just another prophet, the Bible doesn't leave wiggle room on that. Jesus Christ is God. And Paul does his part in not leaving us any of that wiggle room. Paul, though, was not the first after Jesus came to declare this. Um, the shepherds heard it first. They heard it declared in uh, from the tongues of angels um, on the night of Jesus' birth. The good news of great joy for all people. Um, In Luke 2, verse 11, a very simple sentence pulled it all together. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not just a lowercase c, Christ. Not just another godly man appointed by God to do work for him. This is God himself born this day in the city of David. Not merely the Lord's Christ, like David or even Cyrus. This Christ is the Lord himself. He laid aside his divine privileges. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant, was born in the likeness of men. Now, when those all over the earth turn to be saved, they don't they don't merely turn to it's not just their creator God but they get to turn to God in the form of man Um, there's something amazing about that Jesus once a boy walking around well okay you just read through the through the the life of Jesus and, and think about God himself coming as a baby, babies are helpless, right? 
coming as a man, living that life. Once, once a little boy, now our risen Savior. Jesus is Lord and there is no other. Jesus is Lord and there is none like him. The Son of Man, Christ the Lord. To close, I'll read 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Can we have a song, please?